0: Revelation chapter 19 verse 17 Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds which fly in mid heaven come assemble for the great supper of the lord of god so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of the horse of horses and those who up on them, the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse, against and against his armies. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed signs in the, his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled and uh, with their flesh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time we, uh, that we can spend in your word. I pray that this would be profitable. May we glean things from this that will direct our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is a gruesome scene, any way you look at it, really. This is a battle scene. This is the culmination of, of man's rebellion, rebellion against God. It started in the Garden of Eden, and it will finish in the Valley of Megiddo. This is the Battle of Armageddon. Now, this is not the final battle. There's going to be one more battle, and we see that in in, uh, Revelation chapter 20. And we need to make sure that uh, we know some distinctions there. And we'll look at that in a minute. But this is the Battle of Armageddon. Not the final battle, but this is the most decisive battle, maybe most comprehensive stroke against the forces of evil to this point. Christ is coming down, and he will cleanse the earth. And this is a graphic picture. Kind of, kind of graphic, and it's, it's kind of gruesome. And it has a lot of shock value. And we understand shock value, don't we? Uh, one of the reasons that terrorists they're they're so graphic, they, they behead people right on screen because it's graphic that gets your attention. Or we even use abortion uh pictures of aborted babies that, that gets your attention. Those are there's high shock value things. Even nine eleven pictures, we look at those and we just we're reminded And this passage, I believe, needs to be a reminder for us of several things. First of all, it needs to be a reminder how much God hates sin. God hates sin. He will not always tolerate sin in His universe. And we can, we can kind of get used to living in this universe and saying, well, it's always going to be this way, but it's not. It is not. And God will someday get rid of the sin and judge those but it also reminds us that rebellion or fighting against God equals doom. And we need to get that in our mind. That needs to shape our thinking. I like what uh, Bill Meltz said. He said God's God's respond uh, God responds graciously to those who respond to his call, but he must deal in severe judgment with those who don't. God will bring judgment upon them now last week or a couple of weeks ago we saw the passage just uh, earlier that jesus was bursting through the doors of heaven and he comes down he's got his army with him this host of heaven and he's coming in a white horse and in this passage this passage john records for us the carnage and the destruction that uh, that lies before now again, I, I think we have to be careful because there are some people that would get this battle confused. They kind of merged the two battles together. This one in chapter 19 and then another one in chapter 20. But they're distinct. They should be distinct. There's two distinct battles. Chapter 19 here shows a different location. This is the battle at Armageddon. The battle in chapter 20 is the battle in Jerusalem. The battle here, there's a different leaders. This is a battle against the beast and the false prophet. In chapter 20, it's going to be Satan. He's going to rally the troops and he's going to come against Christ. That's going to be in Jerusalem it's going to be against Satan. There's also different enemies here. You have the kings of the earth here. and There's ten separate distinct kings and their armies. In chapter 20, there's the battle is going to be all the nations of all the four corners of the earth. And then there's... A different victory. Here the only weapon that you see is the word of Christ. And it comes out of his mouth and it just kills them all, it says. In chapter 20, there's going to be fire that comes down out of heaven and destroys them. And this is also the final uh, bowl judgment. This is the seventh bowl judgment. And so it's in a sequence there. And so it's distinct from chapter 20. And what happens in between these two battles, in chapter 19, you have uh, the end of the tribulation period. Christ comes down. He annihilates his enemies here upon earth. He established his his kingdom for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, there's going to be another battle. So there's another distinction there. And what we need to know, what, what I want you to understand today, is that God is still patient and gracious toward man today, but when the time of judgment comes he will show no mercy he will show no mercy and we need to to live in that reality that that motivates us that reminds us many times like i said of what we need to do that there's an urgency of life now the question is is what kind of uh, or what can those expect those who are fighting against god what can they expect What is it going to be like for them? And this gives us a kind of a glimpse. There's three sections to this passage that I want us to to see. First of all, there's a a bizarre taunt. A bizarre taunt. And then there's a foolish attack and then there's a lopsided battle. This just whole thing, just you, you just look at this and you think, why is this a thing? Why is this even happening? It's just kind of unusual. Let's look at verse 17. Then I saw an angel. Now, angels have played a a key role in the apocalypse up to this point. And he sees this this other angel, and he's standing in the sun. Now, he's not standing in the sun. He's standing in the sunlight and proximity to the sun. He's not, like, on the sun. It would be kind of like an eclipse. We just recently saw an eclipse. He's eclipsing the sun, and he is in this prominent place so that he can make this important announcement. And God is using an, an angel to do this, and this announcement is to the birds. This is an announcement for the birds. In fact, it says, with a, a cried out with a loud voice, saying, to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven. That's not just the sparrows, not just the birds that are kind of attached here to the, uh, to the landscape. These are the, the birds that fly way up there in mid-heaven. Those vultures. Those who feed on praise—they get up really high, and they see. They look down, and they they can see corpses. In fact, Christ mentioned that in Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse twenty-five. He says, "Where wherever the the corpse is, there the vultures will gather." That's just what happens, isn't it? And, and they look for carnage, maybe along the roads. And you'll see them as you go down the road. You'll see these vultures circling around, and they're looking for. Looking for prey. Are they ready to to pounce sometimes? This announcement is for these birds. For these birds. And the announcement is for, it's an invitation, if you will, for them to, to come and eat. But it's also a command. The structure here, it's really interesting. This structure, the verb, is it's a command. He's commanding them to come and eat. Come and get their fill of the carnage of this mass battle that's going to take place. Like I said, it's gruesome. It's a gruesome scene. It's not pleasant. And then... Who are these men, the question would have to be asked. Well, it's all kinds of men, different categories of men. Verse 18, there's the flesh of kings and commanders and mighty men and their horses and and just those who ride on their horses, free men and slaves, small and great. That covers everybody. Essentially, it's everyone who has yielded themselves to the false Christ, this Antichrist, the beast and his his false prophet, his assistant, essentially they have followed them they've followed these two into battle, and it's going to be mass casualties and in fact ezekiel thirty nine verse twelve it says it takes them seven months to bury the the dead from this the carnage is so is so great and I know this this is before the battle, and I say this is a taunt because this isn't Warning necessarily. He's not warning. It's it's too late for that, but this is a taunt. Here's what I'm going to do to you, God is saying. Now, we've seen that before. We see that with David and Goliath. There is some taunting going back and forth. And David was involved in that as well. You know what? God taunts the wicked. He just does. We can pull back from that fact, but but He is he stands in power over them. And it's, it's a foolish thing to, to even watch. But that's exactly what's happening. They are foolish in trying to combat God. But he is, he is standing over them and he's taunting, here's what I'm going to do to you. And if you don't believe that God taunts, look at, uh, well, the passage was read for us earlier. It was a taunt. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, he says, these kings are gathering. He says, I just laugh at them. I'm going to laugh, he says. It's just a taunt. And here's what I'm going to do. And and look at the carnage. Look at the thoroughness, the completeness of Christ coming and wiping everyone out. It's kind of like WWWF wrestling, isn't it? That's what they do. Man, it's smack talking all the time. Or football. uh, These football players. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to mop you up. That's That's the idea. Now that's in the future. And on the battle scene, it's a taunt. But for us today, folks, it is a warning. And this is a reminder, a warning. We look into the future and we're warned about this. And God's grace warns, doesn't it? God in His graciousness has recorded this, has John record this for us. So we can see, here's what's going to happen. Here's the way things are going to end. And today it's a Warning. But God warns us through His Word. He always has. He's he's warned us through His Word. He sends word by way of messengers. These messengers have recorded these things. And today we see into the future. And warnings, these warnings that are recorded in Scripture, are for us. They point out things that are wrong in our life, red flags red flags and that's kind of what this is really for us it's a red flag make sure we don't get ourselves into this situation but scripture is a warning to us i want you to see this turn over to second timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 we'll just look at one verse scripture is a is a wonderful warning chapter 3 and verse 16 says all scripture is inspired by god it's inspired by god And it's profitable for teaching. It's an instruction manual for life. And and it's good for reproof. And that word reproof is is like a warning. Don't go down that direction. Warning. It's a a red light. It's an alert. Be aware. It's a warning. And it warns us. It warns us to think in a certain way. Don't, Don't think like that. Don't think about your wife like that. Don't think about that other woman like that. Don't think about your children like that. Don't think about your job like that. It corrects us. It warns us. It warns about our motives. It warns us about being selfish motives or manipulating others. Others are there for me kind of motives. Deceiving motives. It warns our desires it warns against uh, greed and lust and jealousy it's a, gives us it a, provides a warning for us for certain attitudes that we have attitudes toward the church attitudes toward the pastor attitudes towards the world attitudes towards others it, and it warns there's warning after warning after warning it warns about our value system have this value system. You need to value spiritual things, not just physical things. It warns us. The Word of God is a good warning factor. In fact, God uses the Word of God it is an instrument by the Holy Spirit to bring conviction upon our own life and motivate us to to repent and to change. That's the point. It's the point of of these warning lights that we see. Uh, every once in a while, now we get we get used to warning lights. The warning light on our dashboard—it comes on, and uh, you know, we already know. Yeah, I know. We need to change the oil. It's a warning light. Warning light. Sometimes we come here, and the, the alarm is is uh, is going off. It's a warning. Uh oh! Somebody's maybe in the building, or there maybe there's a fire. There's a there's a warning there. That's what Scripture does—is a warning for our lives motivating us to change it's used by the holy spirit to warn us but it doesn't leave us there and that's what i like in uh, back in second timothy it, it it reproves us that's that warning but it also corrects it tells us the right way to go it, it establishes the right patterns for our life in fact it defines our reality for us it defines our reality it gives us the right motives the right actions the right words to say But it even goes further than that. It trains us in righteousness, it says. In fact, we can even say that it it tells us how to change. It, It tells us how to change. In Romans chapter 12, this is a wonderful verse. I'm just reminded of it all the time. I have to keep coming back to this. But in Romans chapter 12, and verse 2, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How do we change? By the renewing of our mind. You've got to renew your mind. And you renew your mind by the word of God. That's how you change. We conform our thinking. We hear the warnings of God's word. It tells us the right way to go. And we and we listen to it. We submit ourselves to it. And we are corrected. And we're spared from the, the battle. From the death. Now... I like what uh, Wayne Max says. I think there's a, a quote there by him. Wayne Max says, "Scripture makes that which is difficult that's living for God, living God's way, easier. Scripture does that. Helps us to understand these things, and he goes on to say it helps um, it helps us to develop strength in areas in which we are weak. That's good. Scripture does that. It has that capability. So we need to heed the warnings of Scripture." We need to heed the warnings of Scripture. Now this is this is a taunt to them, but today this is a warning for us. And He's taunting them. Here's what I'm going to do to you. These people that have assembled on the battlefield. Look at this silly attack. It's just foolish when you look at it. Verse 19. And I, I saw the, the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies, and here's the key word, assembled. Oh, they've got their little lines there. We're going to just win this battle. And they've got... And I just, th- I just think, this is so foolish. They're on this big battlefield. It's a, it's a long valley. And they're, they're waiting for Christ to come down. Boy, we're gonna get him. I just think, I just scratch my head. That's just foolish. He says, I saw the beast. The beast is the antichrist. He's the one that's leading this, these armies. He has essentially compiled the, the biggest army to date. All of human history compiled together, and he is going to beat Christ. He is going to beat Christ. How is he going to do that? He's got his kings, kings of the earth. Now, remember back, we've, we've seen the earth dwellers. That phrase that we have keep seeing throughout the book of Revelation, these earth dwellers, well, these are the kings of the earth. And essentially it's the kings of these earth dwellers. These unbelievers. And they had divided the world up into ten sections. And you had ten kings during this tribulation period. And at the end they know exactly what's going to take place. They go to the right place and they wait. They wait. And they're on this battlefield. They're assembled themselves together. Now they're limited. They're limited to this time and space. They're limited. And and I think it's foolish because they're fighting a spiritual foe. Christ himself. Now he, he has a body. So he's going to be coming riding on a horse. They will see him. But again, how foolish is this? I wonder what kind of weapons they think they're going to use against Christ. And they make war, it says. That's the purpose. They've symboled themselves together to make war. To make war. That's the purpose. It's for world domination. We will control this earth. This is our planet, not your planet. Don't invade us and tell us what to do. And they they know where he's going to be. Apparently they know Scripture enough. The time, the place. They sit there. They've assembled themselves, and Jesus comes riding in. Let me show you, verse. look back at verse 11. And I saw heavens open and behold a white horse and he was set upon his it, it faithful and true. This is talking about Christ. Look down to verse 16. And on his robe and on his thigh was the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Christ. So this is a foolish thing. They're just foolish. They've organized themselves on this battlefield and they're fighting an enemy they cannot defeat. In fact, how do they even know? How do they even see him? It's foolish. Foolish. How foolish. Instead of heeding God's warning, instead of they have rejected his invitation of of the gospel, and now their hearts are exposed and they look like the fools. They look like the fools. You say how does this get started? How in the world do you find yourself fighting against God in this battlefield like you think you're going to win? It starts in the heart, doesn't it? That's where all rebellion starts. It starts, hey, God's not going to tell me what to do. I'm independent. I think I should have some some authority here. I think I should have some say. I'm not going to submit myself to Him. And you know what? We're all rebels at heart some degree, we're we're fighting against God. Now, I'm not talking about just fighting against sin. Christians fight against sin. Unsaved are fighting against God. They will not submit themselves to Christ. They will not believe and trust in Him. Put themselves under Him, and so they find themselves in a foolish situation. In fact, Satan is is very easy in the end for Satan to swoop in and and to uh, and to deceive them. When the heart is full of sin and arrogance and uh, independence and self-will, it's very easy for them to be deceived. And that's exactly what Satan has done. He has deceived this whole army, all of these armies. And they made a commitment. That would be the third element. They made a commitment. They made a decision. Okay, I'll be on the battlefield with you. I'll go with you. I'll fight against Christ. They're basically just living out what's going on in their heart. Starts with the heart, and all of a sudden they find themselves on the battlefield. How foolish the human heart, folks, cannot and must not be trusted. Must not be trusted. I like what Martin Luther said. I think there's another quote. He says, "I'm, I'm afraid." He says, "I'm more afraid of my own heart than the Pope." Now, remember, Martin Luther. His life was in the hand of the Pope and the Cardinals. Because uh, they, with their word, he could be put to death. He says, I'm more afraid of my own heart than the Pope and all of his Cardinals. He says, I have within me, within me, the great Pope, self. That's the right perspective to have. We should be afraid. We live by faith. We live by faith. Not by sight. We don't even trust our own heart. We're concerned about our own way, going our own direction. We continuously submit ourselves to God. Now, men today are fighting against God. They're not doing a frontal assault. Oh, it's just trying to manipulate Him, or they're just—they're not going to submit to Him. That they're fighting against God. And make no mistake, they're fighting against God, and their doom is sure. God will taunt them, and they will will fight him at some point directly, and they will look as foolish as these people do, who are fighting a frontal attack against God and the host of heaven. Now let me show you one more. This is a lopsided battle as well. You see this. Verse 20. And the, the beast, now that's the beast, there's... Uh, this is This is the one that has been referred to, and you see it back in uh, chapter thirteen we 'll look back in a little bit. He is seized now he 's the commander of the army he and his assistant it says he is seized, and with him the false prophet that 's his assistant essentially and he 's called the prophet, probably because he brings in the spiritual element here and He performed these signs, somehow did these tricks, these somehow signs, magic things that caused people. He says in his presence, that just means under his authority, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast. There is a whole earth that basically they took the mark of the beast. Yeah, we'll follow him. And if you didn't take the mark of the beast, what? They would. You couldn't buy or sell. You had to do that, and they were deceived into this. So there's an element of deception there. And he says, and they, those who worshipped his image. Now they're one and the same. They're both groups. And it says these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed. That's kind of a short battle, really. The the, the leader and his assistant are just captured up, taken up. We don't know the details of how that exactly looks. And they're they're thrown into the lake of fire. And so all of a sudden, you have these who have been deceived, rightfully so. They, they've been deceived. They're looking pretty foolish, aren't they? They're looking pretty foolish. No commander. They're out there on the battlefield. In fact, their commander, this man, the the beast and his assistant uh, have been thrown into the lake of fire. Now that's a little embarrassing, isn't it? When you're when you're a uh, when you're a soldier and your commander is just captured up and thrown into the lake of fire, and that's it. And what do you do then? Well, let's look at this lake of fire quickly. There's some verses I want us to see. It is not it's not Hades or or Sheol. It's not the abyss. Uh, in fact, Satan will be thrown into the abyss for the thousand years that Christ will reign on this earth. That he'll be released in chapter 20. We'll see that. It's not annihilationism. They don't stop existing. They still exist. They're just thrown into this this lake of fire. It is a real place. It's a place of torment. It's a place of punishment. Incredible torment. There's a, a couple of verses that we need to, to look up here. Matthew chapter 25. And again, this is this is the teaching of Christ. Christ believed in a literal hell. Matthew chapter twenty five, verse twenty one. He says, Then he will also say to those who those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. There's a place that burns forever and ever, it is fire. And it was prepared for heaven and or for uh, Satan and all of his angels, not necessarily for men if you go back to um, go back to um, Isaiah chapter 66 we'll just look at the last verse in, in the book of Isaiah it says this and the context is just perfect here then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me this is God speaking for their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorration ab- uh, to all mankind. That's a description of hell. There's other, maybe some other verses on there. Hell is a literal place. It is a place of torment, incredible torment, a place of punishment. The passage in Revelation, there's other verses there, but I'll just, I'll move on. And it's burning with brimstone, this yellow, sulfuric material. Uh, It's like stuff that you would find in, in a volcano region, like lava. And it's just burning. And these two deserve to be the first ones to be thrown into the lake of fire. These two. And they should be in the hottest place. If hell has a hottest place, they should be in that hottest place. You say, why is that? Because they were not only men. They were men. They had the sinful nature just like all of us. They had fallen short of the glory of God just like all of us. But they allowed themselves to be used by Satan. In fact, they were demon possessed. Demon possessed. Not just They were not just used in a generic way or general way. That Satan leading the nations. No, they were specific. They They allowed Satan to possess them. But you know, I think beyond that. They were deceived and and they were part of this deception. They were deceived by Satan. Satan enters them, as demon possession. But they also deceived. They deceived millions and millions with their tricks. In Matthew chapter 18 uh, is a good verse, a good verse to, to remember. Christ again in his speech, in his talking, he says, Woe to the world, because of its stumbling blocks. There's going to be people who cause other people to stumble. They're going to be deceiving other people. For it is inevitable for stumbling blocks to come. But woe to the man. Woe to that man from whom the stumbling blocks come. There's a special place in hell for these two. And they deserve to be made a spectacle of. The first ones thrown into the lake of the like of fire. They're demon possessed, political, uh, religious leaders, and all of a sudden they're gone. Now that's a heavy blow to the army, isn't it? These army, they're out in the field. Yeah, we're going to fight against God, and all of a sudden their two leaders are gone. All the emotional hype of of battle is just drained right out. Oh no, you, you can just hear their thinking. All the excitement of, of battle is is gone. All of the hype. And they find themselves in the middle of this field. Not, not waiting to fight against God. Just basically waiting for their own judgment. And it's very simple. They were killed. They were killed. With the rest. It says. Now let's, let's try to apply this. How do we apply this? This is kind of hard to... Hard to think through. Have you ever felt just abandoned like that? Have you ever just put your place in the, in the, put yourself in the place of these men out on this battlefield? The commanders are gone, getting ready, maybe seconds before they're annihilated as well. But just those brief moments, they begin to realize I was tricked. I was betrayed. And they begin to realize that they were following after the wrong person. Following after the wrong person. Why would they follow Satan? Why would anybody follow Satan? Turn back to revelation chapter thirteen here's here 's the context. This is the first little step that they begin to go down, besides hardening their heart before God and rejecting god 's invitation of salvation. Revelation chapter thirteen and verse four says this. Well, let me read verse three as well, and I saw one of the heads of as if it had been slain now this is this dragon he's, he's describing this dragon or this beast actually and his slain and has um and his fatal wound was healed this is part of, part of the tricks he appeared to die but but now all of a sudden he's he's healed and the whole world the whole earth it says was amazed wow look at that they were amazed. And they followed after the beast. They're following him. And they worshipped him. They worshipped the dragon because he had given his authority to the beast. Satan himself was being worshipped by them worshipping this beast. that he was empowered by, this, by Satan himself, this beast was. And it says this, And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? He is the most powerful. And I think therein lies the problem. It starts, it starts with their own heart, doesn't it? There's fear there. There's insecurity there. God is, this is during the tribulation period and, and things are starting to happen and there's insecurity in man. They're looking for a leader. They're vulnerable and they put their trust in any solution that the world has to offer and that seems to be this one man who escaped death and they will worship him they will worship him and they side they decide to just follow him and he then uh, he then just plays the role they were deceived and, and here they follow him deception is often the result of of Rejecting God. Rejecting God's revelation. You're setting yourself up to be deceived. When you don't trust God, you're going to trust something. Because you realize in your own heart, I realize in my own heart, the inadequacies, the insecurities. You're going to trust something. Either alcohol, either drugs. You're going to have, you're going to trust your own popularity. You're going to trust something other than God unless you trust God. And I tell you what when persecution comes we saw this video persecution comes it'll it'll determine who you trust in cuz you're going to you're going to bolt if you're not trusting god you face this 14 years of this at some point you're just going to break at some point you're not going to take it anymore it has to be real doesn't it and the two leaders are thrown into the lake of fire and these men now are exposed their stupid foolish hearts started off with fear. We're going to trust this guy. Nobody can beat him. And we're going to follow him. And they've chosen poorly. And they find themselves fighting against the God who created them. Now, I love this next part. He says, with his sword, he just kills them. The sword of his mouth just kills them. And the birds come. And they just, they're just they fed. They were full. I liked one commentary. He said, the, the wickedness of man... Has become full, therefore the wrath of God has become to its has come to its fullness. That's exactly right. John Phillips, he's a theologian, he said this, then suddenly it will all be over. In fact, there is no war at all in the sense that we think of war. There will be be just a word spoken from him. I like that. That's what it says. Just a word. A word. A word spoken from him who sits on the great white horse. He goes on, Phillips goes on to, to point out that with that one word, with a word, Christ caused the fig tree to, to wither up and die, didn't he? He caused with, with a word he calmed the storms, he calmed the howling wind and the waves, just with, with one word with a word. He cast demons out, and they fled with one word. In fact, what we see when we look at Scripture, it was Christ who was speaking, and He spoke the universe into existence with His word. With His word, and the vultures came and descended. These men were corpses now; they just fed on these men. Let's again try to apply this. We underestimate the Word of God, don't we? We underestimate what we can't see. No, it it has to it has to be practical. We have to we have to see it. We can see a a God missile. That's practical. We'll put our trust in that. We could see horses, we could see battle. One word. This is a word and they're annihilated. God can suck the oxygen out of this room just like that, in, in one word, and we could all just be dead. This is his universe. His word has power it has strength and that word sustains us as believers now just think about the twist here the, the same word that killed these people the same mouth that kills these people with his words with his words he gives life to us he gives life as believers the word is a, a living, breathing thing. He breathes out his word and it sustains our life with the, with the knife. The knife can kill, but also with the knife, you can cut off the bad things. You can cut open, heal as well. That's the picture that you see here. It's a wonderful picture. It's a wonderful picture for believers. It's a wonderful picture. Now let's apply these things. I think you already see the applications. Number one, what you what you don't see here is this is just uh, some way to, to for everybody to get to God. We're all going to get to God and this is a judgment scene. This isn't everybody getting saved at the end and boy, everybody's happy, happy, happy. It's not that. It's not that at all. This isn't, well, there's different ways to God, but we all are going to get there. No, no, you don't see that at all. What you see is Christ is the victor. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. It's submitting to him. That's it. That's it. We need to keep that in mind for a watching world, don't we? The world needs to know that. Number two, another just an application. These truths serve as a warning to non-believers. If you are here and um, hearing the truth, teaching of this word and you're a non-believer you you are you are putting yourself outside of christ you're not trusting christ you're trusting something it's not christ and there's a warning here there's a warning for you let me read the passage in uh second peter chapter three verse nine says this the lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you he is patient toward you not wishing that that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of grace. We're looking into the future, the time of judgment. Today is the day of grace. Another application for us believers is in verse eleven, Second Peter chapter three and verse eleven. He says, "Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, I mean, so all, we see the end." And we see it's going to be destroyed. It's not going to be the same life. It's going to be destroyed. What sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? We see these things. John records us these things. We see into the future and it produces within us a a godliness. Oh Lord, I see you in your power. I see what your word can do. And that gives us the last one there. We hold to the word of God by faith. We live by faith. Not what we see. But we live by faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for this word. Just a quick, quick moving through this passage. And it's a difficult passage. Difficult things to look at. Difficult things to see. But it's a a deadly reality. And so, Lord, I... I pray that we would take heed. We would glean the things that we can from this. We we understand the power of your word. We understand the urgency. And there's a warning for the unbeliever. And there's a warning, a reminder for us. May we, may we take heed to your word. Take heed to those warnings. Correct the things that need to be corrected in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.